0: Uh, Excelling in our love uh, for one another is our current uh, sermon series and today we come to lesson uh, 21 entitled The Mark of the Christian and this message, lesson 21, will be the concluding message in this series. And so before I begin today's message, let me briefly share where we will be going uh, from here in our Sunday morning messages. Uh, Since next Sunday is the first Sunday of the month, uh, we will be observing uh, the Lord's Supper. And then the second Sunday in August, I will begin a new series on telling others the good news. I trust to be a very practical series of messages on how to engage unbelievers in spiritual conversations and impact them with the gospel of Christ. And then uh, beginning in October, I will share a series on marriage and family, uh, which will coincide with the marriage seminar that we will conduct the very first weekend in November. Uh, but today, the mark of the Christian, our primary focus will be uh, five one another verses that we find in the book of 1 John. If you are visiting with us in this series, We've just been walking through the New Testament epistles, extracting from those epistles all the one another verses and looking at them within their context uh, to learn how to love one another in the church family. So look at the introduction in your sermon notes. Throughout history, people have worn uh, various symbols to indicate their faith in Christ. Uh, such as the symbol of the fish or the cross. Uh, Today, as you know, there is a multi-million dollar market in clothing and bumper stickers which display Christian symbols and slogans. But Jesus gave his followers one distinguishing mark to wear to show the world we are Christians, and that is the mark of love for one another. The night jesus was arrested you know that he celebrated the passover meal with his disciples which he transformed into what we observe today as the lord's supper it is is important to know that only 12 hours after their meal together jesus was hanging on the cross And in only about 20 hours after the meal, Jesus' body was cold and dead, laying in the grave. So this was a time for Jesus to share his last instructions to his disciples. And you see what those instructions were in your notes. Look at John chapter 13, verses 34 and 35. He says, men, a new commandment I give to you that you love one another, even as I have loved you, that you also love one another. By this, all men will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. Those simple words, love one another, could easily have become a first-century bumper sticker. Uh, I mean, can you imagine all the uh, donkeys in Israel with a bumper sticker on their rump? You know, love one another. Uh, Although the whole world agrees, no better advice could be given, and that love is exactly what is needed to solve all the ills of the world, the problem is no one seems to be able to do it. Like so many slogans on bumper stickers, although love one another is great advice, it seems to be nothing more than a nice sentiment. So let me ask, is Jesus' command to love one another nothing more than a nice sentiment? A lofty goal To reach for that can never be obtained. Just wishful thinking. And the answer is a resounding no. Because in the command itself is the secret to obey the command. Notice the phrase. Even as I have loved you, that you also love one another. What the Greek literally says is since I have loved you in order that you might love one another. One is the cause, the other is the effect. The cause being Jesus' love for us and the effect of that is what? Our love for one another. Jesus' love for us is the only thing that can produce in us Not only the motivation, but the empowerment to love other people. Let me share a great illustration that was given by Henry Drummond. Uh, Many of you may not be familiar with Henry Drummond. He was a contemporary of D.L. Moody, one of the greatest evangelists in our nation's history. He was actually an associate of D.L. Moody for a time. And he gave an absolutely classic message on love entitled, The Greatest Thing in the World. And in that message, Drummond alluded to 1 John chapter 4, verse 19, which simply reads, We love because He first loved us. I think Andy alluded to that in the uh, worship time uh, earlier today. We love because He first loved us. And then Drummond said this. Look at that word, because. Because He first loved us, The effect follows that we love. We love him. We love all men. We cannot help it. Because he loved us, our heart is slowly changed. Contemplate the love of Christ and you will love. Stand before that mirror. Reflect on Christ's character and you will be changed into the same image from tenderness to tenderness. There is no other way. You cannot love to order. You can only look at the lovely object and fall in love with it and grow into likeness to it. Look at the great sacrifice as he laid down himself all through life and upon the cross and you must love him. And loving him you must become like him. Love begets love. And then here's Drummond's illustration, and it's a classic one. He says, it is a process of induction. Put a a piece of iron in the presence of a magnetized body, and that piece of iron for a time becomes magnetized. You hear what he's saying? Take a piece of iron that's been magnetized, a magnet, put an ordinary piece of iron next to it, and that ordinary piece suddenly becomes what? magnetized in the presence of that magnetized piece of iron. It is charged, he says, with an attractive force in the mere presence of the original force. And as long as you leave the two side by side, they are both magnets alike. Remain side by side with him who loved us and gave himself for us, and you too will become a center of power. A permanently attractive force. And like him you will draw all men unto you. Like him you will be drawn unto all men. This is the inevitable effect of love. Any man who fulfills that cause must have the effect produced in him. End of quote. See, it is the Christian who maintains focus on the wonder of Christ's unconditional love for him as a sinner... The Christian who never ceases to glory in the riches of the gift of Christ's forgiveness. The Christian who rejoices in his eternal salvation. That he did absolutely nothing to earn or deserve. This is the Christian that becomes magnetized with Christ's love. And becomes able to love as Christ loved. This is the Christian who in the presence of Christ love over time becomes broken, softened, and changed. From being prideful to humble. From being selfish to giving. From being angry to tender. From being bitter to forgiving. This is the Christian who learns to love like Christ. And in doing so proves the authenticity of his faith. Look at the next statement in your sermon notes. Jesus' love for us is the cause of our love for one another. As we just saw, we love because He first loved us. So Jesus' love for us is the cause of our love for one another. But it's not only the cause, it's the measure of our love for one another. The measure of our love for one another. Love one another even as I have loved you, Jesus said. We are to love as He loved unconditionally. So not only the cause, not only the measure, but it's the proof. And the proof of our love for Jesus. By this, Jesus said, all men will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. Now it was so important in the introduction for me to lay this foundation. And we've come back to this throughout this series on learning how to love one another. It always comes back to your personal relationship with Jesus Christ. That we find the power to love one another through intimacy with Jesus. And this is why, and we have talked about this previously, when you go to Revelation chapter 2... Although he commends the church of Ephesus for so many, many things. their stand on the word of God, resisting evil, even suffering for his name. He says, I have one thing against you, and it's that you've left your first love. He realized that they had begun the process of the deterioration that was going to eventually lead them to compromise and the loss of their testimony. Because he realizes as only as we, what, stay side by side with him that we find the power to live for Him as He lives His life through us and as we live our lives through Him. So He always meant the Christian life to be a relationship to enjoy rather than simply a routine to endure. And so we must never forget this, that it always comes back to this. There's nothing more important than to focus on developing your personal relationship with Jesus Christ, and developing intimacy with Him, because it's in that relationship that you will know His purifying work, that He might be extended and expressed through you. Now, continuing on in your sermon notes, making the transition to the 1 John verses, the phrase, love one another, occurs five times in the book of 1 John, and it's used in three different ways by the Apostle John. First, it's used as an exhortation, as you see in uh, chapter 3, verse 7. Let us love one another, an exhortation. It's an encouragement. Let us love one another, almost like a cheerleader rooting the the team on. But then it's also given as a statement of duty. Uh, Chapter 3, verse 11, we should love one another. 4.11, we ought to love one another. And then in chapter 3, verse 23, love one another just as he commanded us. And then it's given as the proof, as we've seen, of Christian authenticity. He says, if you love one another, you'll prove that you're my disciples. So why are Christians to love one another? That's the question we want to answer this morning. And the Apostle John gives four reasons, and so look at them with me. Number one, love one another because that is what God is. Love one another, because that is what God is. Look at 1 John, chapter 4, verses 7 and 8. Beloved, let us love one another. Why? Because love is from God. And everyone who loves is born of God and knows God. The one who does not love does not know God, for God is love. And then 1 John 4, verse 16, God is love. And the one who abides in love abides in God, and God abides in him. I would suggest to underline the two phrases, love is from God. And then twice you see that phrase, God is love. So underline or circle those two phrases. Love is from God and God is love. Now listen very, very carefully. Love is intrinsic in God's nature. And therefore love flows from God, not in response to anything outside of God. But simply because God is love. So let me make two observations about God's love. First, the statement, God is love, when you think about that, it's a marvelous affirmation of the Trinity. Since God is eternal, and since God is love, love has been an eternal reality. Well, how do you explain the existence of love before the existence of a created being to be the object of God's love? And the answer is the Trinity. God is a relational being, three distinct persons, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, blended by perfect love into what? One God. Before any created being existed, what did exist? The Father loving His Son. The Son loving His Father. And the Holy Spirit uniting the three in perfect love. The second observation is this. Since God is love, it's only by looking at God's character... Revealed in God's Word and demonstrated by God's Son that we can define true love. And this is extremely important to see. When it says that God is love, this never minimizes or nullifies God's other attributes. The Bible says God is not only love, but God is Spirit, which speaks of His eternal nature. It says that God is light, which speaks of His holy nature. It says that God is even a consuming fire, which speaks of His judging nature. Therefore, God's love is eternal, never changing, always constant. It is also holy, rooted in His character and the moral absolutes written in his word. And his love is just, rewarding the righteous and judging evil. He who is love is spirit, light, and fire. Therefore, you cannot use the phrase love is from God to uh, uh, legitimize illicit forms of love. That, can, that are inconsistent with God's character. Now, going back to 1 John chapter 4, verses 7 and 8, it's difficult to miss the simplicity of John's argument. Since God is love, wouldn't you expect God's children, who share God's nature through the new birth, to love? That's a simple argument. Therefore, everyone who loves is what? Born of God and knows God. The one who does not love does not know God, for God is love is referring to the miracle of the new birth. And and this is so important for believers to see and understand. And, you know, I probably walked with the Lord, uh, came to know Christ, uh, and it was probably seven or eight years before I came to know Christ, and I even came to realize this truth. You know, most believers think that becoming a Christian is just something that's being added to your life. You know, that you know, becoming a Christian is just the fact that I now possess Jesus Christ, that he lives within me. But it's much more than that. You have literally been changed. The very essence of your being and your character. In other words, when you came to know Jesus, one of the words the Bible talks about is what? Regeneration. In other words, someone comes into existence that did not exist before. Because there's not only something added to you through the presence and person of the Holy Spirit, but you fundamentally are changed as you receive new life. And what John is saying is, if a person has truly been regenerated, if he's truly experienced the new birth, you would expect to see the evidences of that life lived in and through him. We'll talk a little bit more about that as we go on. Look at the second truth. we're uh, love one another because that is what God is. Number two, love one another because that is what God commands. It's interesting the balance that we'll see in this message. Love one another because that is what God commands. 1 John chapter 3, verse 23, this is His commandment. That we believe in the name of His Son, Jesus Christ, and love one another just as He commanded us. And then 1 John 4, verse 21, and this commandment we have from him, that the one who loves God should love his brother also. Now, there's no contradiction in what we're reading here than what we just talked about in in relationship to the new birth. Think of a baby that comes into this world after birth. There's life there. But that little baby needs what? To be nurtured. He needs parents that will provide boundaries, that will instruct him or her, give commands so that that little baby learns how to live the life that he possesses, right? He learns to live through the practice of life as it is, as he's instructed, as he's guided, as he's directed through life. And it's the same way for you and I. Yes, at the new birth, we're given new life. We inherit God's nature, but we l- learn love through the practice of love. And we've, we've shared this before in this series as well. 1 Corinthians 13, the great love chapter. It gives 15 different qualities of love. And in our English Bibles, they appear to be adjectives describing what love is like. But in the Greek text, all 15 of those properties are verbs, verbs. Action words. It's not that love has the quality of being long-suffering. He's saying love practices long-suffering. Love practices not being easily provoked. Love practices forgiveness. And on and on and on. So we learn love through the practice of love. And so there's a wonderful balance here of, yes, I have new life in Christ through the new birth, But yes, I need these commands. I need to understand how I'm to express that new life. And as I practice that love, I learn that love. I was sharing with somebody earlier this week who's been uh, struggling with uh, forgiveness. That forgiveness is a process. We learn to forgive by practicing forgiveness. And if you've had someone who has hurt you, if you've had someone who's wounded you, forgiveness is just not a one and done act. Yes, it begins there where I'm, I, I take this step of faith that I'm going to forgive this person. I'm going to release my right to hurt them for hurting me. I, I'm going now to be willing, instead of putting a wall up, to build a bridge and to reestablish that relationship and begin to reinvest in that relationship. But that's going to be a process. As I, as I walk through that, I'll be tempted many, many times to renege on that, to back up, not to invest. Uh, I'll struggle at times with wanting to strike back, to get revenge. And so often when we talk about forgiving someone, it's it's something we have to practice with that individual on a daily basis, on a moment-by-moment basis, as I'm instructed through God's Word. So love one another because that's what God is. Love one another because that's what God commands. And then love one another because that is what Jesus did. Because that is what Jesus did. Look at 1 John chapter 4, verse 9. By this the love of God was manifested in us, that God has sent His only begotten Son into the world so that we might live through Him. What is at the heart of true love? We see it here. A cross, sacrifice, taking action for the benefit of another person at your own expense. Love is what Jesus did. And what does it mean to be a Christian? The word Christian literally means to be a follower of Jesus Christ. So if this is what Jesus did, I am to follow him. What does it mean to follow him? We'll take Philippians chapter 2 verses 3 through 8. Do nothing from selfishness or empty conceit. But with humility of what mind and attitude, I'm to think that others are more important than myself. Therefore, I'm not to look to my interest, but to their interest, to their benefit, to their welfare. And I'm to have that attitude that was in Jesus. Who, although he existed equal with God, he didn't consider that something to selfishly grasp. But he emptied himself, taking upon himself the form of a what? Bond servant. And being made in the likeness of men and being found in appearances of man, he what? He humbled himself to the point of death, even death on a cross. That is the life that I am to follow. That is the life that I am to live. He is my Lord. He is my master. So if he became a bondservant, the one who is equal with God, how can I not follow that same path and to live a sacrificial life in ministering to others. Look at 1 John chapter 4 verse 10 there in your notice. In this is love. Not that we loved God, but that He loved us and sent His Son to be the propitiation for our sins. God loved us and sent His Son to save us, and He did that not because we were lovable, but because what? He is love. Not because there is anything that He would have desired in us, found attractive in us, but simply because He is love. Romans chapter 5, this isn't in your sermon notes, but verses 6 through 9. Christ died for what? The ungodly. For one will hardly die for a righteous man, though perhaps for a good man someone would dare even to die. But God demonstrates His own love toward us and that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Love is what Jesus did, and to be a Christian is to follow Him. What does it mean to follow Jesus? To follow that same pathway. 1 John 3, verse 16 reads, We know love by this, that He laid down His life for us. Therefore, what? We ought to lay down our lives for the brethren. That's the life we've been called to live. Going back to 1 John 4, verse 10, we're told that God sent His Son to be the, what, propitiation for our sins. The word propitiation speaks of a sacrifice designed to turn away the wrath of an offended deity. God's love, listen to this now, God's love found a way for the light of His holiness to expose man's sin... And the fire of his wrath to judge man's sin, while at the same time not destroying the guilty sinner, but saving him. And how did God accomplish that? On the cross. Jesus, who knew no sin, he became sin. He became you. He became you. He became me. And the fire of God's wrath fell on him, his only beloved son, to pay for the penalty of my sin, your sin, and then to credit to our account all his righteousness. Love is what Jesus did. And to be a Christian is to follow him. So what does it mean to follow Jesus? Well, a good place to go to would be Ephesians 4, verse 31. Listen, let all bitterness and wrath and anger... And clamor and slander be put away from you, along with all malice. And be kind to one another, tender-hearted, forgiving each other, just as God in Christ also has forgiven you. Look at the, how the Apostle John applies this in 1 John 4, 11. Beloved, if God so loved us, we also ought to to love one another. And then 1 John 3:19 is very similar. We know love by this that he laid down his life for us and we ought to lay down our lives for the brethren. You know, we miss John's point if we simply reduce this to the fact we have a duty to follow and imitate the example of Christ to love one another. That's true. That does exist. Because that is what we've been called to do that is our mission in life but when he says we ought to love one another I think what he really means is we ought the way fish ought to swim in water the way birds ought to fly the way babies ought to grow believers ought to love because that is who we are by virtue of the new birth and again A baby grows, first and foremost, because it has life. Yet it has to be instructed, yes, nurtured, commanded. But you begin with the new birth, and without that, there'd be no hope for the nurturing or the instruction or the command. We share God's nature. God's Spirit is in us, and God's love has been poured in our hearts So for a Christian to love is more than imitation. It is realizing who we are in Jesus. And maintaining that focus that we talked about earlier. That relationship. Staying side by side. Being magnetized by his love. Then look at the fourth truth. Love one another. Because that's what believers do. That's what believers do. Look at 1 John 3.10. By this, the children of God... And the children of the devil are obvious. Anyone who does not, don't miss that next word. Practice righteousness is not of God, nor the one who does not love his brother. Look at the next verse, 1 John 4, 7. Everyone who loves is born of God and knows God. The one who does not love does not know God, for God is love. I love how one Bible teacher described the new birth. You'll you'll love this. This is what he said. The new birth is the act of the Holy Spirit connecting our dead, selfish hearts with God's living, loving heart so that His life becomes our life and His love becomes our love. I'll repeat that. That's a great statement. The new birth is the act of the Holy Spirit connecting our dead, selfish hearts with God's living, loving heart so that His life becomes our life and His love becomes our love. And this is why John says, everyone who loves is born of God and knows God. Look at 1 John 4.12, which is an astonishing statement. He says, no one has beheld God at any time. If we love one another, God abides in us and His love is perfected, what? In us. In The first chapter of the Gospel of John, verse 18, we read, listen now, No man has seen God at any time. The only begotten God, who is in the bosom of the Father, has explained Him. What a great statement. He says, No one has seen God at any time. But Jesus, becoming a man, He explained God. He brought God to light. Remember in the beginning was the Word, the Word was what? With God, the Word was God, and that Word became what? Flesh, and what? We beheld His glory. We saw in Jesus who God is because He was the very essence of God in in human form, in human form. But going back to 1 John 4, 12, John says that unseen God who was revealed to the world through the incarnation of His Son, is now revealed to the world through His people when we love one another. It is our love for one another that proves God abides in us and displays God to a lost world. And that's why Jesus said, By this all men will know that you are my disciples, if, if, if you have love for one another. But also notice, verse 12 says, To love one another is for God's love to be what? perfected in us in other words God love is per- perfected made complete when we enter the fellowship of the trinity to love one another as the trinity loves one another and to become one even as they are one do you remember the prayer Christ prayed for his followers after he had given his disciples his final instructions right before going to the garden of Gethsemane where he was arrested In John 17, verses 22 and 23, Jesus prayed this, And the glory which Thou hast given me, Father, I have given to them, that they may be one just as we are one, I in them and Thou in me, that they may be perfected in unity, that the world may know that Thou didst send me and didst love them even as Thou didst love me. In other words, he says, our opportunity... To demonstrate the reality of Jesus to a lost world is by us loving one another. A love greater than our differences. A love that unites us in our diversity. A love that enables us to disagree without becoming disagreeable. And so look at the conclusion. God's love which originates in Him and was displayed through His Son is made complete when reproduced in believers empowering them to love one another. God's love, which originates in Him and was displayed through His Son, is made complete when reproduced in believers, empowering them to love one another. So John says, love one another because, first, that's what God is. Second, love one another because that's what God commands. Third, love one another because that's what Jesus did And then fourth, love one another because that's what believers do by virtue of the new birth and God working in and through us. But let me end by reinforcing one last time. It all goes back to that relationship with Jesus. That's the only thing that makes it possible. That new birth, as I become one with Jesus... And as He nurtures me, as I stay close by Him, magnetized by His love to love others. And then I'll just close this series the way I began it. There are two things that motivated me uh, to share this sermon series. And I stated it right up front at the beginning. Number one, I wanted to use this series as an opportunity to express my love and appreciation for this church family. What I have, and I mean this as serious as serious can be, what I've preached the last 21 messages, this church family has taught me over these last 40 years. I have the deepest appreciation for seeing the reality of Christ in so many of your lives as that The authenticity of your faith has been demonstrated by your love for one another. This is a church family that does love one another. And I appreciate that, and I affirm that. And then the second motivation was, and I took the sermon title out of a passage from 1 Thessalonians, as I shared with you. And that's where Paul, he's thanking the church there for their love for one another, their love for the Lord Jesus. But he doesn't stop there, but he says, what? You need to excel still more. I mean, we can never say that what? We have arrived, right? I mean, none of us have arrived. I have not arrived. You have not arrived. This church family has not arrived. So praise God that, yes, I can say over the last 40 years, I've seen the reality of Jesus in this church family. That through your lives, you've taught this old boy more about love and how to love. In other words, by rubbing shoulders with you, I've become magnetized by many of your lives and the love of Jesus working in and through you. But then I'm also saying, hey, let's excel still more. Let's excel still more. And let's ask God to give us that grace, uh, again, to know that love that is greater than our differences. Differences are inevitable. Diversity is inevitable. Disagreement is inevitable. We'd we'll never escape that on this side of eternity. But what God calls us to do is demonstrate a love greater than our differences, to maintain unity in the midst of that diversity, and to learn how to disagree without being disagreeable. And as we do that, we demonstrate to the world the reality of Jesus in us. And that is one of our greatest testimonies to draw others to the saving knowledge of Jesus Christ.